I hope you're excited about the 4th of July coming up. What a time for us to thank God that we live in the country that we live in. It's funny, I'm on Facebook, and I see a big divide right now, more so than I've ever seen in my life, between the left and the right politically. Just a big fight going on, and I think people don't understand. We live in the best country that you can imagine. We have so much freedom here. We have freedom of speech. We have freedom of religion. And I'm not saying that there's not things in this country that need to be better. Obviously, there's things that need to be better. But I look at the bright side of things. I love this country. I love the freedoms that we have. You know how people say, I'm left-wing, I'm right-wing. I'm for the whole bird. (laughs) But anyhow, I want you to have a great Fourth of July, and I hope that you feel proud to be a part of this country, and I hope that it will be a great day of celebration for you. We've been studying about the Word of God. This is our seventh week on this. We've been talking about 40 days in the Word, and we've been reading through the Bible together two chapters a day. We've read all the way through Luke and John so that you fully know the story of Jesus. We read all the way through Acts so that you fully understand the early church. We're doing this on our own. Everybody's reading two chapters a day on their own, and then we're reading through Romans. You're going to finish up Romans in the, ne- in the next couple of days. And my hope is that you'll continue to read the Bible, that you'll continue to do these things. So today I'm going to do like a wrap-up. Today's our final day as we're talking about the 40 days in the Word. And I want to focus on keep on keeping on, maintaining a heart for God's Word. Jesus said, if you continue in my word, then you're really my disciples. He didn't say, do it for 40 days and stop. It's continue it. The 40 days is just to get that habit going in our life to make the Bible a regular part of our life. And then you keep the habit going. If you weren't here during any of the 40 days, it's not too late. It's not too late to start a habit of reading the Bible. Read two chapters. That's all we ask people to do because it's pretty fast. Read two chapters every day. If you don't like to read, listen to it. You can buy the Bible on CD. You can um, get it online. But you're getting God's Word in your life on a daily basis. I want us to maintain this heart for God's Word. I want us to integrate God's Word into every area of our life. But it's not going to happen if you don't have the desire to do it. You have to have the desire to be a man of the word. You have to have the desire to be a woman of the word. It's not going to happen unless you want it to happen. In Psalms 119, verse 20 in your notes, it says, What I want most of all and at all times is to honor your laws. This is King David that wrote this. When he's talking to God about honoring his laws, he's talking about the Bible. You know, that's what they would call, they used to call it the law. That's what they would call the Old Testament at his time. And he would say, what I want most of all and at all times, I want this more than anything else, and I want it all the time, at work, at home, at the game, with the kids, with my spouse, on the golf course. What does he want? To honor your law. What does that mean? He's saying, I want to be a man of God's word all the time. I want to be a woman of God's word all the time. I want the Bible to be a part of my life all the time. 
It's not something I do when I go to church and leave it behind later. But you see the evidence of what I believe in how I treat my wife. You see the evidence of how I believe in how I treat my kids. You see the evidence of how I believe in how I treat my friends at work and how I treat my enemies. It's a part of my life all the time. That's what David was saying. And I believe that that's something that we need to take hold of for our life. I want God's word to be a part of my life all the time. So how do I integrate God's word into my life? How do I make that happen? Number one in your notes, build on it. We've done 40 days, build on it. How do you build on something? Whatever you're building on is the foundation. Everybody in this room is building their life on something. What are you building your life on? If it's a shaky foundation, you're going to have trouble in life. And what I'm saying is build your life on the Word of God, something that's going to be solid. Look at Matthew 7, 24. Jesus said these words. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. You can build your house on sand and it's going to crumble, or you can build it on a rock, on a firm foundation. And he's saying, build your life on the rock, referring to God's word, referring to the things that Jesus himself said. You're building your life on something. Everybody here is. And he's saying, don't build your life on things that are going to crumble. Build your life on something that's going to last. So when the storms of life come, and they will, the storms of life come. You might be in a storm right now. You might have just gotten out of a storm. You might be about to go into a storm, and you just don't know it. But I'm telling you, the storms of life happen. And when you hit those trials and those troubles and those temptations and those tough times, what's going to keep you standing strong? It's what you've built your life on. It depends on the foundation that you have. And if you build your life on shifting sands of opinions or whatever is popular, it's going to crumble. It's going to crumble. If you build your life on God's word, it's not going to crumble. There's unreliable things that we build our life on. One of them, and you can fill this in in your notes, is popular culture. What everybody else is doing. And we think, well, everybody else does it, so I'm going to do it. We go along with the crowd. We tell our teenagers not to do that. But then we turn around and do the same thing as adults. We go along with the crowd, what everybody else is doing, what's ever popular. The problem is, Exodus 23, 2 says, don't follow the crowd in doing wrong because sometimes what's popular is wrong. Sometimes what the majority of people say is okay is not okay. Just because the majority think it's okay does not mean it's okay. So you can't just do what everybody else is doing because sometimes they th they're wrong. In fact, if you look at history, most of the time the majority is wrong. There was a time that the majority of people thought that slavery was okay. Right now, I think the majority of people might think abortion's okay. There's things that the majority, and if you're in a different culture, there's some cultures that were the majority of people not a minority, the majority of people think it's okay if your sister were to get raped or something and she's totally innocent, the thing to do is to kill her, to put her out of her shame. 
And there's some cultures where the majority of people in the culture would say, yeah, yeah, that's a good thing to do. And we're like, what? That's outrageous. But then there's things that we do that we think are normal that are outrageous to God. You know? But we want to justify what we do because that's what our culture does, but point our finger at another culture. I think there's enough things that we need to look at ourselves and say, the majority of people are saying this is okay, and it's not. And you love those people, and you care for those people, but the majority is wrong. You can't just go by what everybody else is doing. Don't follow the crowd and doing wrong. You're going to mess up your own life following those paths. Another thing that people do is tradition. And sometimes when people that are following tradition think they're doing the opposite of following the culture. And the reason why traditions get started is because at one time, the tradition worked. So people kept doing it. But it's circular reasoning to say, I'm doing this because I've always done it. Because sometimes what is traditionally okay doesn't work anymore. Look at Mark 7, 8. Jesus said this. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. There are some traditions that aren't good. It's just man-made. It's not what God wants. You know, some traditions are obsolete. They just don't work anymore. A lot of churches are guilty of this. They'll hold on to some tradition that they made up, and it's not even in the Bible. But they make it holy and equal to the Bible. I want the Bible to be my foundation. There's some things that it doesn't matter that we've always done it this way. Sometimes you have to do something different. You say, well, the tradition's just not good. It's not working. It was never part of God's will to even begin with. But we made it that way. Another thing that we hold on to is reason. Now, God gives us the ability to reason, okay? That's a good gift from God. But sometimes what you think is reasonable isn't. It's not reasonable. And if you think that your reason is always right, you're, you're arrogant and wrong. Because your reasoning isn't always right. Because sometimes you've had reasoning about things and you pursued what you thought was right and it ended up flopping. So you're, you can't rely on your own reason. Look at this, Proverbs 16, 25. There's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. Have you ever met someone and in your mind you thought, he or she, this is the one. And in your reason, you had all these reasons why you thought it was so good. And then after you actually dated the person a little bit longer, you realize, oh, that was the biggest mistake of my life. Why? Because your reasoning is wrong. You're relying on your own ability to reason, and you're wrong. Have you ever invested money in something because in your reason, this would be a good investment, and it flopped? Why? Because you're not infallible. You have weaknesses. You make mistakes. You're not all-knowing. So there's a lot of things that you think are logical that don't work out the way that you thought it would. You can even do this with raising kids. Do what you think is logical and then it flops. And your kids aren't doing and going in the direction that you thought. Because you cannot rely on your own reason. No one's that smart. We need to rely on God and God's word to guide us. Another one is our emotions. We're relying on our emotions. People build their lives on how they feel. 
If I feel it's good, it must be good. Your feelings will lie to you. You lie to yourself more than what you lie to others. Because you feel it's okay. You feel good about it. There's a lot of things that you feel that are wrong. Your mood can manipulate you into the wrong situation. You know, following your feelings can really mess you up. I think about Hollywood, Hollywood's view, based on what I see in movies, of marriage, for example. Not just in the movies, but maybe in the lifestyle of the stars. It's find the right person, fall in love with the right person, fix your hopes and dreams on that relationship for meeting your needs, and then when it fails, do it all over again with somebody else. Find the right person, fall in love. Then you read the Bible, and it comes from a different approach. It doesn't teach so much about finding the right person. It does try to say get the right person, but if you read the Bible, the focus is on be the right person. How do I have a healthy marriage, God? Help me find the right person. And God's saying, you're asking the wrong question. The question is, be the right person. Work on my character so that I can be the type of person that's worthy of marriage. That's way more important than even finding the right person. Obviously, you want to find the right person. But the emphasis is, be the type of person I need to be. The second thing is, you don't fall in love. Love is a choice that you make. Okay? It's a choice that you make where you're choosing. Now, love can create emotion, okay? But you're choosing. What you're saying is, love isn't something I fall into. Love is a choice I make to say, I'm going to make your problems my problems. I'm going to put your needs above my needs. Love is saying, I'm going to be other-centered. I'm going to care more about you than I care about myself. It's not something that you fall into. It's a choice that you make. I'm choosing to put you above me. So that's what the Bible says when it talks about marriage. And it says, fix your hope on God and honor him. You never fix your hope on the relationship. It's two people involved. You fix your hope on God. And then if things aren't working, you keep working on those things. You know, what can I do to improve my character to make this marriage better? What can I do to show this person love to make the marriage better? And honoring God and putting my hope in God to work things out. The Bible view is so different than Hollywood. Hollywood is all about the emotions that you feel. The Bible, you know, says your emotions can be wrong. They can cause you to make stupid mistakes. Have you ever gotten emotional and made a mistake that you should have never made, but you got into something emotionally? You know how they say if you break up with somebody and if you haven't had time to work through your issues and the pain that you go through, you can jump into a relationship too soon and mess things up and make things worse. Why would you jump into a relationship too soon? Emotions. It's your emotions that get you to do that. So a second thing that we need if we're going to maintain and keep God's word in our life is we need to feed on it. You can fill in the bank, feed on it. Feed on the Bible. You need the Bible to give you strength. The word of God is your spiritual food. In fact, when you're reading the Bible, it calls Scripture water. In other passages, it calls Scripture milk. In other passages, it calls Scripture bread. In other passages, it calls Scripture meat. So it, it describes it as food that you need to sustain yourself, that you need to help you be healthy. You need food in your life. 
You need physical food for physical strength. You need spiritual food for spiritual strength. You need God's word in your life. A contractor would never send somebody out on a job who hasn't eaten in a month. Why? He can't do any building if he hasn't eaten in a month. He needs to be fed first. The Bible describes us spiritually as building, uh, like we're building something. So if I'm expected to be building something, I better have spiritual food. If it's spiritual building, I need spiritual food. I need the Bible in my life. A commander in the army would never take somebody and send them into battle who hasn't eaten for a whole month. You, You know... So the Bible says that we're in a spiritual battle. We're in a spiritual battle. And why, what would happen if I go into a spiritual battle and I haven't eaten in a month? I haven't read the word for one whole month. You're, you're spiritually starving. You're probably going to lose up the spiritual battle that you're in. So you need God's word. We need food. In Colossians, it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let it dwell in you. Let it dwell in you. How? How do I get the Word of God to dwell inside me? First of all, in your notes, receive it with my ears. I have to hear the Word of God. The Bible says faith comes from hearing the Word of God. So one of the ways to do that is being in church. You're in a situation like this, this, where you're hearing the Word of God. You're getting it inside. You're feeding on it. Another way is read it with your eyes. Read it with your, you're hearing it with your ears. You're reading it with your eyes. So read the Bible. Get it into you. I said earlier, you know, I know some people uh, have a hard time with reading. But today, with the Bible on CDs, or you just go online to BibleTools.com, I think is the name of it, and you can listen to the Bible. They even have different versions that you can listen to. You can pick out the version that you want. So in today's world, there's no excuse. Everybody can read it or listen to it and get it into their uh, minds that way. Then research it. Research the Bible with your hands and with your mouth. Research it. Why do I say with your hands? Research means to study. You're not studying unless you have a pen and you're writing something down. You know, so if you really want to get God's word in your life, get pen and paper. Read it and take notes. That's a way to really get it in. And then I say with your mouth, um, because part of the way of learning scripture is to talk about it. So what we're going to do in September, in case you don't know yet, in September we're going to start a class step-by-step step through the Old Testament. That's for the fall. And then in the spring, step-by-step step through the New Testament. I've had people that are interested, you can do this, on their connection card inside your bulletin. If you're interested and you write the word Bible or step-by-step or whatever on your card and give me your email, I'm putting you on the list. About mid-August, I'm going to start sending you the info, like it's starting on this date and, you know, start getting the things ready. But it's going to be on Wednesday nights. It's going to be on Wednesday nights, so beginning in September. So you can start preparing uh, for that because that's going to give you a chance to discuss it with other people. Have you ever know, have you noticed how part of learning something and processing it is to be able to talk about it? So that's going to give you that environment And we're going to study the Bible. You're going to know the Bible. You're going to know what it means. We're going to go through the Old Testament uh, in 13 weeks and then through the New Testament. And we're going to cover it in a way that you're going to grasp it. The other thing is reflect on it with my mind. What does reflect mean? It means like you're meditating on it. What I mean by that is you're thinking about it. You're not just reading it. You're thinking it through. The word for meditation 
in the Greek. It comes from how the cow is chewing and chewing and chewing on the grass to get as much out of it as it can. And that's what you do. It You read it, and then mentally you're chewing on it. You know, that's what the word meditation meant in Greek. It didn't mean to cross your legs and sit in this position. Not that that's bad for relaxing, but that's not what the word meditation means in the Bible. The word meditation in the Bible means you're chewing on it. You're thinking about it over and over and over in your mind. And then remember it with my heart. Memorize it. Sometimes you see a Bible verse, and it really speaks to you. Memorize that verse. In Psalms 119.11, it says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. David wrote that, King David, and he was saying, I hide your word. In other words, I memorize your word so I remember it. So when I'm tempted, I don't do that temptation because I remember, wait a minute, God doesn't want me to do that. He was using memory verses to help him obey God. You see an example of that with Jesus. When Jesus was in the wilderness, he was being tempted by Satan. And the only thing that Jesus used to fight off those temptations was verses that he had memorized. He would come back with a Bible verse, and he would say, it is written, and then he'd quote a Bible verse that would say the opposite of what the temptation was wanting him to do. So he was winning that victory because he knew God's word in his mind. He had it memorized. There's verses that you're going to read. They're going to help you in life, and you say, man, that's so good. I want to memorize this. Have you ever memorized a quote from somebody that's not in the Bible? Just a quote because, wow, that's a cool quote. Well, when you see something good in the Bible, memorize that too. Allow it to be in your mind and in your heart. Not everything in the Bible has to be opened up for you to know that it's in there. There are some things you can memorize and you can walk around and have it inside even when you don't have a Bible with you. Then three in your notes, live by it. The Word of God is your standard of living. It does me absolutely no good to study or read the Bible every day if I'm not going to live it out, if I'm not going to do what it says, live by it. Allow it to be the standard of how you live. This is God's word. This is my standard. Like I said, if I rely on my own reason, I'm going to be wrong. If I rely on my own emotions, I'm going to be wrong. If I just do what's popular, I'm going to be wrong. I want to rely on God's word as a standard for how I live. I'm going to trust his word and live according to that. Then next in your notes, number four, grow through it. The Bible is often referred to as a seed, and it's planted in your heart. When the truth's planted in your heart, if it finds good soil, it says it grows, and it produces fruit, and God wants you to be fruitful. He wants his word to get into your heart and grow so that you can have a fruitful life. You can have a life that counts. How would this be seen on a daily basis? If God's word got in my heart and it started growing, like I said earlier, you'd see it in how I treat my wife. That would be some evidence of some fruit of God's word. God's word got into my heart. It changed the way that I treated my wife. That's the fruit that you see coming from God's word. It got planted in and it bears fruit. It changes the way I treat my kids. It changes the way I treat other people. God wants to change your heart so that you have a better life. In Psalms 119, verse 18, it says this. Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. Ask God to open up your eyes. God, open my eyes so I can see these wonderful things that you want to do in my life. 
God wants to do great things in your life. Do you know God wants you to be so successful at work that there's so many Bible verses that talk about success? He wants you to have the best marriage. He wants you to be the best parent. He wants you to be the best friend. He wants you to be the best worker. There's verses, like tons and tons of verses that talk about every aspect of your life because he wants you to succeed. He wants you to make it. See, I understand that because I have kids and I want them to succeed. Anybody that has kids, you know, people my age and stuff, and you have kids that have grown up, you feel really proud of your kids if they're succeeding. And you feel like, maybe I did something right. Maybe I did something right. Sometimes we look at our kids, and they can be the fruit of what we've been doing. You know, maybe I did something right. They're doing really good. We want them to succeed. Well, what I'm trying to tell you is God loves you. He wants you to succeed. In fact, God loves you more than what you have the ability to love your kids. So if you can love your kids and want them to succeed, how much more does God love you and want you to succeed? And I think we have this love for our kids like you can't explain. When you have a child, you can't explain that love that you have for a kid. It's beyond any other love that you have. On marriage, you work on the love. On kids, I don't think you really work on it. It's just something automatically in there. It's like with the kids, you never said to them, if you're good enough, then I'll love you. In marriage, you decide to find that person. It's a different perspective. So you have this love for your kids. You want them to succeed. God wants you to succeed. He has that love for you that's even stronger than what you can imagine. There's a story in the Bible about a farmer, and he's sowing seeds. He's throwing seeds out. It's the Word of God. The story is about the Word of God and what God's Word wants to do in your life. He's throwing seed out. He's getting the Word of God out into the lives of people. The soil is you and I. We're the soil, and we're getting seeds in us. The Word of God's going inside of us. And it describes four different types of soil, which is four different types of people or four different attitudes that we have. On one part of the story, it says, some seed landed on the path. You know, the path is usually narrow, right? And everybody walks on it, so it's hard. And the birds would go and just take it away because it was too hard to even get the word inside. The word couldn't get inside the soil because it was too walked on. The path is hard. So in your notes, I say the hardened soil represents a closed mind. What I'm saying is there's sometimes... We don't give God a chance. God's word can't even get in my heart because I'm so hardened to begin with. I've already made up my mind. I'm not willing to listen to God. I don't care what the Bible says. I don't care what I hear at church. I've already made my mind up. I don't care if I'm wrong. I don't care if I'm right. I'm going to do what I want to do anyway. I don't, I don't need to read the Bible because I'm going to do what I want anyway. I don't care what the Bible says about my boyfriend or girlfriend. I don't care what the Bible says about my debt. I don't care what the Bible says about sex. I... I'm going to live my life the way I want. It doesn't care what the Bible says. It doesn't care if it says I'm wrong or right. It just doesn't care. I've made my mind up. Okay? It says the path is narrow and hard. Some of our minds are narrow and hard. And, you know, the only action you can do is you've got to cultivate an open mind. That's the only chance you have. If you have already made up your mind, you need to... because. Nobody's arrived. Nobody knows it all. You might be a know-it-all, but nobody knows it all. So you need to, to cultivate an open mind so that God has a chance to get his word in your mind. Otherwise, you don't have a chance. 
He says, when you're throwing out the word of God, the seeds, some of it lands on shallow soil. What it is, is it's rocky ground. So what happens is the seed gets in the dirt, but because it's under a rock, it can't take root. It's just the dirt over rocks. It can't take root. It gets in the soil, but it can't ever really grow because it can't get roots going. And that's something in the, in the notes, shallow soil represents a superficial mind. It's not the same thing as a path where it never gets in the soil. This actually gets in the soil, but it's just the soil is too shallow, so it can't have roots. And sometimes that's how we are. It's superficial. It's a superficial mind. Well, you can go and you can even say, that was a good message. You can read the Bible and say, oh, that was good. You know, but it never gets beyond that. It got in. Hmm, good message. Oh, that song, that was a good song. I like the words. That was meaningful. It gets in, but it never penetrates. It never gets in your heart. It's just at the surface level. And you can hear and say, that's good. And you can walk out these doors. And it made absolutely no difference in your life. And then it's like, why bother? Why even bother? It hasn't done anything for you. And it's not that you don't know what's good. You say, oh, yeah, that was good. That was good. But it's so, at such a superficial level, it never impacts your life. What's the action? You've got to make time for God's word. You've got to make time for God's word. You've got to make time to allow it to get rooted in. Rooted in. This is why I think it's important for people to not just go to church. Go to church, but also read the Bible on your own. Going to church only can be like that shallow thing where it's just not enough to get deep. Because it goes back to the idea... If I ate on Sundays, but I fasted every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, not only would I get rid of this, I would get rid of every muscle on my body as well. I'd be, I'd be starving. I can't only eat on Sunday. So the idea is that's too shallow, right? It's not enough to take root. But if I'm being fed on Sunday, but I'm also feeding myself throughout the week, you're going, to be, you're going to be healthy. You're going to be strong. You know, that's what you need. Now, he also said the farmer throws out these seeds, and some of it lands on soil, but it has weeds next to it. So it grows, but the weeds choke it out. The weeds choke it out. And when it describes this in your notes, the soil with the weeds represents a preoccupied mind. And what this means is, the weeds that choke it out is busyness. It's like you receive God's word, but you're so busy with work and with, I've got to pay these bills. I've got to get the kid to the dentist. And then we have soccer practice. And you're so preoccupied with so many things in life that it chokes it out. It chokes it out. Like you hear the word, you agree. You say, this is good. This is good. You let it get all the way in, but you allow life to choke it out. The action is eliminate the distractions. The biggest sin that I see in faith, in faith, isn't like drug addiction, some, you know, uh, immoral thing, behavior here, embezzling money, stuff like that. It's not some evil, wicked, mean, bad, nasty thing that you might think up in your head. 
whatever that would be for you. Whatever you think is big, mean, bad, nasty, that's not the biggest sin of people in faith. You know what the biggest sin is of us in this room? Our biggest sin is we get so busy doing other things, we don't have time for God. I'm so busy, I don't have time to read the Bible. I'm so busy doing good things that I don't have time to do the very best. That's what holds us back. See, because let me tell you why. If I tempt you with something uh, big, wicked, nasty, whatever, th- whatever in that, if I tempt you to live with that, a lot of you are going to say, I know where that's going to lead me in life. No thanks. That's not what I want. But if I tempt you with something good that's going to distract you from the best, can you be so involved in something good that you don't have time to work on your marriage? Can you, be, uh, so involved, can you get so distracted by some good things that you don't have time to give your kids the attention that they need? Can you be distracted by so many good things in your life that you don't have time to read your Bible? They're not sins. Like, for example, you could, it could even be watching TV. Is watching TV a sin? No. I mean, maybe it depends on what you're watching, okay? But I'm just saying, is watching TV a sin? No. But... If it's preventing you from having a relationship with your kids, if it becomes a hindrance in your marriage, if it's preventing you from having time to read the Bible, I would say for you, probably watching TV is a sin. So most of us, the things that take us down from really being the men and women of God, from really succeeding, from really having the best life that we've dreamed of, it's good things. Good things. You know why? Because since they're good things, we don't see them as something bad for us. And then they fill up our time, and then we don't have time to do what we need to do to have success. So you have to eliminate the distractions. There's some things, it's not that they're bad. They're just preventing you from doing what's best. So get rid of it. If it's preventing you from doing what's best, here's Here's what's not going to work. God, I want to hear from you, but I only have 30 seconds, so you better go fast. I'm telling you, you're not going to hear from God. God is not going to cater to your schedule. You better cater to his. You're going to have to take time aside and say, I'm going to read the Bible, let it soak in, think about it. And everybody in this room has time to do this. Everybody in this room has time to read your Bible or listen to it think about it, maybe jot down a few notes, and let it soak in every day. You know how long it takes me to do my quiet time every day, my Bible reading time and stuff like that? Um, on, a, on a rare occasion, it can be a half an hour. But really, it's usually about 15 minutes. 15 minutes. I read two chapters. I think about it. I'll jot down some things. I have a notebook. And, you know, I'm not doing an hour every day. Now, I'm not talking about when I work on my sermon. That takes a long time. I'm just talking about my personal quiet time. Yeah. Um, You know, 15 minutes on average a day. Everybody has time to do it. It's just a matter of desire, how important it is. Or it's a matter of me being so busy with good things, I don't have time for the best things. That's why you never get so busy that you don't have time to take your wife out on a date. Okay? Okay. You can get, you know, so busy that you don't have time to take your wife out on a date. I would say taking her out on a date is probably more important than some other things that you're doing. 
You know, don't ever get so busy that you don't have time to spend with your kids. I think there's probably some things in your schedule that you could give out, get rid of, because spending some time with your kids is more important. So, you know, it's, it's about, like, priorities. What's really most important? Okay, I'm going to make sure that that's in my schedule. And then the other things, if, if I can do those other things, I will. But don't neglect the most important things. Then the good soil... He says the farmer is throwing out these seeds, and some of it lands in good soil. And the good soil represents a willing mind. So the truth gets in, and as I said earlier, it takes root, it grows, and it starts producing fruit. And that's the life that we want to have. How? In your notes where it says action, cooperate with what God says. You know, be good soil. Allow it in. Allow God's word to get in your life. And then allow it to change the way that you live. You know, what's, what's the main theme of the Bible? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's at least one of the major themes, right? Loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Loving your neighbor as yourself. Well, the whole point of church and reading the Bible is that those two sentences look more and more like you. For example... Year after year of going to church and reading the Bible, you'd want to say like, wow, I looked at myself last year and I look at my life this year and I feel like I've made a step in the direction of, I think my life shows that I love God more than what I used to. I've made a direction on, I think my life has shown that I love my neighbor more. Like, you know, so that's, the, that's what you want to see. That's the fruit that you want to see is, wow, I can tell I, I'm changing like five years ago, I wouldn't have had compassion for these people in this situation. Now I do. What's that a sign of? That you're loving your neighbors yourself more than you did five years ago. Five years ago, I didn't feel this love that I have for God like I do now. What's that showing? It's, it shows that it's changing me. And the truth is, the more I love people, it is going to show in my lifestyle as well. It's not just going to be something in your, you know, if you're really loving people, it's going to show. It's going to show in the words that you say to people. Other people will be able to say like, wow, he, he seems way more loving than what he did five years ago. You know, he seems way more compassionate than he did five years ago. That, that's the point. The point isn't a checklist. You know, let's be spiritual. I prayed today, check. I read the Bible today, check. I went to church this week, check. Let's be spiritual. Is that a sign that you're spiritual? That's a sign that you have discipline, right? You know, because if you do that every day, that means, man, you've got a lot of discipline. It's, there's nothing in there that shows that you're spiritual, okay? But if instead of you trying to be disciplined, if you approach it in a different way, you're approaching it to change the way you live. So now you're not thinking, I've, I've, I've got to get the checklist done. You're thinking, I'm reading this word, and I'm trying to let it change the way I think, the way I feel, how I act. And you become a better person. That's what you want. It's all about being a better person. The reason I say this is we all know, I know you know, you, you probably have people, we all know people that know the Bible a lot and can even quote it, but that's the last person in the world you'd ever want to be like. Have you ever met people like that? That's the last person you'd ever want to be like. 
Why? Because they're not very loving. In fact, they're judgmental. You know, and you say, I never want to be like that person. So we know that reading the Bible backwards and forwards doesn't make you spiritual. It makes you knowledgeable. Okay? Not spiritual. The Bible says knowledge puffs up. Love builds up. So if the knowledge isn't helping you to be a loving person, then why bother? Then why bother? And then, so you want to cooperate with what God says. And then number five, act on it. James says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. That's a song I love that you picked that uh, song, Phil, because it's, it's do what it says. Uh, otherwise, it's self-deception. If I'm just reading the Bible and I don't do it, I want to be a doer of the word. And I've talked about this every, every week where we talked about the Bible, that there would be a passage down there about doing it, about doing it, about doing it. Um, so I'm going to go to number six. Trust in it. Trust in it. Why can I trust the Bible? Well, God's never going to guide you in the wrong direction. People will. I'm talking about well-meaning people. People that love you. Have you ever had someone that loves you, that cares about you, a family member, a friend, give you advice that was wrong? And they're not giving you that advice because they're trying to mess up your life. They're telling you this because they love you, right? But they were, they were just wrong. You know, well-meaning people, good people, loving people, people can give you wrong advice. But what I'm trying to say is the Bible, God's never going to give you the wrong advice. God's never going to lead you down the wrong path. In fact, in Psalms 119, verse 105, it says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. Have you ever been in the darkness before? Uh, physical darkness. One time I was in Mammoth Cave in Kentucky. They get you in there, and then they turn off all the lights. And I'm telling you, it's, you can't see anything. It's, it's dark, dark. You feel like totally lost. Like, oh, man, this is so dark. I can't imagine it, you know. So I've been in darkness. I, that's the darkest place I've ever been. Um, well, sometimes we're in darkness in life. Like the darkness is, I have no idea what I should do about this relationship. Have you ever felt like that? And you're lost. You're in darkness. You don't know where to. I don't have any idea what I should do with this job offer. I don't know where I should invest money. Maybe you say I'm confused. Maybe that's the word you'd use instead of you're in darkness. But when I'm in darkness and I don't want to be in darkness, you know what I do? I flip on the light, right? If, if the room's dark and you want, don't want to be in the dark, you flip on the light. Well, the Bible says your word, God's word, is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. So flip on the light. Turn to God's word. Seek God's word for the answer. Here's the problem. Here's the truth. If I wait till I have a problem and then I start seeking the Bible for the answer, where would you find the answer? Where would you start? Where would you look? Where would you go? You're kind of lost, right? But when you're reading the Bible on a steady basis, okay, so you're reading the Bible on your own, when you're there, you already remember the answer because you've read it. You're not lost. You know it. You know, you can read, if you, if, probably if you read three chapters a day, you'd probably read through the Bible in a year, something like that. If you read probably 20 minutes a day, you could probably get through in a year. You know, some people read slower. I read slow because I'm trying to make sure I don't miss things, but 
For me, it would probably be more like a half an hour every day to get through the Bible in a year. Is that a big sacrifice just to take one year to read through the whole Bible? Then afterwards, maybe the first year you say, I'm going to focus on not studying, making notes. I'm just going to focus on reading it first, get all the way through it. And then you know what the Bible says. And then you say, okay, the second time I'm going to slow down. And maybe I'm just going to read one chapter, focus on it, write down a few things, and let it soak in a little bit more. And then that might take you three years to go through the Bible doing it that way. But in one year, you can read through the Bible and know what it says. And when you get in these situations, you can think, well, what did the Bible say about things like this? And you might not remember everything, but I'll tell you what, if you read the whole Bible, you'd probably remember a lot of it. You probably remember a lot of it. So, but you can't just wait till you have a problem and then say, okay, I've got a problem. Let me find that. You won't know where to look. You know, it's, there's a lot of stuff in there. Where would I even look? I'd be lost. I want you to be the most mature believer possible. So turn on that light. Turn on that light. Let the, the word of God light your path. So we've been studying for 40 days. We've been studying for 40 days the importance of God's word in your life. My desire is that this will continue in our life. Not a 40 days, and then we stop reading the Bible. My, my hope is that you've made a commitment. I'm going to keep reading the Bible every day. Now, what do you do when something happens where your goal is to read through the Bible every day? You're reading the Bible every day, and then something happens where you missed a few days. And then you say, oh, I missed a few days. I blew it. What do you do? You just keep reading it's okay to miss a few days. Let me just say this scenario. Before we started this 40 days, I would bet maybe half the people in this room haven't read the Bible for the whole year before. Like the whole year before, you haven't read the Bible on your own for a whole year. Let's say that your goal is to read the Bible every day, and, but you, you mess up so much that you average reading the Bible two days a week. Five days, oh, I've missed again. But you average reading the Bible two days a week. Do you know what that means? You would have read the Bible a hundred times more this year than last year. Right? A hundred times more. Well, a hundred, you can't times or divide with the number zero. But you know what I'm saying? But you would have, uh, you would have read it a hundred times compared to zero last year. I think that's a hundred times better. That's a hundred times better. You're feeling like you're a failure because you're feeling like I did two and I missed five. I did two and I missed five. And I'm feeling like you're the greatest success. Last year, zero. This year, 100. Way to go. Maybe next year you hit 120. You know, so we have to think realistically. You're going to miss times. Don't let it beat you up. Then you, you just, okay, I missed. I missed. You, you had a time in your life where at work, you know, a project was due and it, was, it took so much of your time that you missed five days. Do you know what you do on day six? You start reading your Bible again. That's all. Don't say, oh, I blew it. I'm no good. I'm a loser. I have no discipline. If you read it one day a week, that's 50 times more than last year. Okay? Now, my goal is to read the Bible every day. It is my goal. Do you know what? There's a lot of times I miss. There's a lot of times I miss. I probably average four to five times a week. Not seven. 
not seven. I probably average four to five times a week. Okay, there's always days I miss. And do you know how much that bothers me? Absolutely not at all. It doesn't bother me. Okay, because I don't think God's goal is to make me feel guilty. His goal is to bless my life. His goal is to give me the best. And if I'm walking around guilty, I'm doing it for the wrong reason. Okay? And if I feel guilty, it's, that's not a healthy relationship with God. I think God loves me. I missed it. Okay. And then I do it the next time. I do it the next time. Your mentality has a lot to do with your success. You can't go around beating yourself up. Boy, that's the worst thing. That's not spiritual. God doesn't want you to feel guilt. He wants you to get the best out of your life. And he's offering you his word. And every day that you can read it, do it. Do it. Because it's for your good. So with this, I hope you're inspired to keep reading the Bible. If, if something happened that we did this 40 days and you never started, I hope you start today. Okay. But read the Bible. Let, allow it to impact your life and help the rest of your life be the best of your life. With this, let's pray. Father, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you that it calms our fears, it enlightens our mind, it strengthens our will, it grows our maturity, it calms our worries, it leads us out of darkness, all the things that you do through your word. And Lord, we pray that we'll be able to commit to reading your Bible on a daily basis. When we miss a day, then we'll just start the next day, Lord. And we're not trying to be legalist in our minds and our hearts, we're just trying to get your word into our life as much as we can. Lord, we want the blessings that you have for us. Help us to desire it, whatever you have to do to help us to do so. It's in Jesus' name that we make this prayer. Amen.